We're back in the little book of Jude, verses 16 through 19. Jude 16 through 19, as we are plowing through, coming closer to the conclusion in a couple weeks of Jude. I want to tell you a little story. You history buffs may know it. In 1845, a single, that's the key word, a single potato peeling washed up on shore on the island of White. On that, peel, that single piece of potato peeling was a single fungus. And by 1847, the single potato peeling from that single ship with that single fungus destroyed approximately 90% of the potato crop in Ireland. Have you heard of that? Now, this was a big problem. Why, Lamar, would you say that? Because approximately 80% of the diet of the Irish people in those days consisted of potatoes. And here's something you may not have known. Within 10 years of that single potato peeling off that single ship with that single fungus that destroyed the crop, within 10 years, one out of every four Irishmen starved to death. Millions perished. In fact, if you were to look it up today, even today, the population of modern-day Ireland is still millions less than it was in 1840. Think about that for a minute. One fungus brought so much destruction and devastation and death. Now, let me flip that to what we're looking at in Jude. It just seems like only God would know the destruction, the devastation, and death that comes from one or more apostates and apostasy and how that comes to families, to churches, to colleges, to universities, to denominations. And here, once again, Jude continues, if we will pay attention, to offer ample warning and ample teaching about how we can detect apostasy and how we can defeat apostate teachings. I think the evidence is clear. So let me ask you this morning, as we've been asking all along, are we contending for the truth? Are we detecting apostates? Are we opposing Apostates. I'm not saying go out and get in a fist fight. That's not what we're talking about. It's talking about contending for the truth with the truth, with our testimony about what God has done in our life. And the big idea today is as we contend for the truth, we must recognize the evidence of an apostate life, or as I titled the sermon, the evidence of a wayward life. So let's take a look at verses 16 through 19. These people, so here we go again, we're still commenting on it. These people, look, look at the description, are discontented grumblers, walking according to their desires. Their mouths utter arrogant words, flattering people for their own advantage. But you, dear friends, remember the words foretold by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They told you in the end time there will be scoffers, walking according to their own ungodly desires. These people create divisions and are merely natural, not having the Spirit. Let's pray. 
Thank you, God, for your word. Every single word, every single verse, every single chapter. How it speaks into our hearts. God, this morning we acknowledge our responsibility is to hear from you, to see your word, to apply it, and to obey. So we ask for that today, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. So I'm going to give you a bunch of evidences. I would tell you how many. I think it's in your sermon notes, and you would freak out because we'll be here all day. No, some of them are going to be real quick. But evidence number one, we see in verse 16 right at the beginning, uh, evidence of a wayward life of apostasy is this, complaining without shame. Complaining without shame. Scripture tells us they grumble, they complain. But even more than that, other translations would, would say they're discontented. One even says they're fault finders. Now let me give you a picture of that. Do you remember the Hebrew children? Do you remember how God had miraculously pulled them out of slavery, right? Oh, great day. Wrong. What did they do? They griped and complained to the Lord. They even accuse God of withholding his best from them and what they thought they deserved. Well, think about that just for a minute. What do we deserve? What do we deserve? Don't say nothing. You're close, but you're not right. We deserve hell, do we not? The Bible's clear. We deserve being separated from God and everything about God for all eternity. It's called hell. And yet God had a rescue plan and sent Jesus. Are you happy about that? Some of you are not happy, I don't think. You should be happy about that. Because that's what we deserve, and yet God is gracious. But here they complain, they grumble, they're, they're like the, the Hebrew children. They're critical, they're negative. It's as if uh, apostates and apostasy is as if they're a cancer. And it's a cancer that is so deadly for effective ministry, for a healthy church life. If apostates are in the church, it just kind of destroys all that. And this complaining without shame always leaves them judgmental and without joy. Look around. Look for someone who's always judgmental and without joy. And you probably won't want to hang around with that person. Let me give you a couple scriptures for this evidence. Philippians 2.14 very clear, short command in Scripture says this, do all things without grumbling or disputing. That's what Scripture says. James 5, 9, do not grumble against one another, brothers, talking to Christians, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. He's paying attention. Don't do it. Do not grumble. Well, let's move on to evidence number two. Desiring the sensual, in verse 16, I've called it that. So here we have in 16, these people are discontented grumblers, but they're walking according to their own desires. You see, they live for their own desires. Some translations will even call these desires, you may have the word evil or lust or lustful. This phrase can be rendered satisfying carnal appetites. So picture that. They're walking in this. It's their desire. It's carnal. There's an appetite for it. Personal pleasure reigns. Personal pleasure consumes and trumps everything. Have you seen that in our world today? Have you seen how personal pleasure just trumps it all? 
Let me be, let me do what I want to do, and I will do what I want to do. That's not what Scripture tells us. That's not what truth tells us. So this reigns, this type of personal pleasure, this evil, lustful desire reigns instead of what God wants us to do, how, thinking about how can I strengthen someone else? How can I be a blessing to someone else? How can I love and lift up someone else instead of just doing those personal things? So that's evidence number two we find in verse 16. Desiring the sinful, sensual, the desires. Uh, 2 Peter 2, 9 and 10. By now you figured out that 2 Peter 2 and, and 3 is a parallel passage to Jude. Sometimes almost exactly. Very interesting. And here's what 9 and 10 say. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. Listen to this. Especially those who follow the polluting desires of the flesh and despise authority. There's the picture for us. We can go that way or we can go God's way. Number three. Number three is also found in verse 16. I've called it sweet-talking the simple. Have you ever heard of the term sweet-talking? I hope you haven't been accused of being a sweet-talker. It may sound good, but I don't know that it's a good thing. But we see it right here in verse 16. They're discontented grumblers walking according to their desires. And look, their mouths utter arrogant words. You see, false teachers mouth these great, these swelling, these arrogant words. One translation, are you ready for this, says this. They are bombastic in speech bombastic in speech. And I would tell you today, just as something practical, watch out for big talkers. Have you ever known a big talker? Watch out for big talkers. Well, what's a big talker? It's a person who says more about themselves than they say about the Word of God. Now, it's important to hear our story, but once we know someone's story, where does it go? Where does our story go? Is it I, 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 me, 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 or is it God's Word, God's Word? God, what he has done in my life, how am I following him in this way and that way? So think about that for a minute, the contrast there. These apostates portray themselves as the hero of every story. But it's more than just that. It's just more than someone who's just very narcissistic. It's more than that. It's as if they are the hero of the story with this bent, spiritual superiority. Watch out. For someone who is spiritually superior. Because someone truly he is very mature spiritually what? They're not going to go around and talk about it and brag about it, are they? You're going to know. It's just going to be all over them and you're going to know. But not the person who is sweet talking. And they're sweet talking the simple. You see in verse 16, they're flattering people with their own advantage. So they go after the gullible those who perhaps are ignorant, those who are not knowledgeable, telling them what they want to hear and what makes them feel good. And Scripture is clear that as the days get clo closer to the Lord's return, more and more people want to hear what they want to hear, don't they? And they want to feel good about what they're hearing. So these apostates are masters of manipulation. And here's what we see in our world today. I won't name any names, but just to know, these masters of manipulation empty the pockets of others and fill their own. 
Now, you be your own investigative reporter, and you go find out what we're talking about. Unfortunately, we see this all the time on television and radio and podcasts, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not saying you can't ever ask for money for your ministry, but the question is how often do you do that and what happens with the money? God did not call me. We have a nice house. We are blessed with a nice house. But God did not call me into the ministry to have five nice houses and my own personal jet. You get the idea? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What does scripture teach us? The generous, the tithing lifestyle, the generous lifestyle is what? We want to give away. We want to give. We want to give. We want to give. We don't just want to take. They use buzzwords. Have you ever heard of these buzzwords? Tolerance. Open-mindedness. Now, you guys just be open-minded. You ever heard that before? Uh, let's have mutual respect. They use these kind of words. But their, their arrogant words, their arrogance here, their sweet talking is most evident in their rebellion against God. And we need to remember that. It's not just in what our relationship is with someone, but their rebellion against God. Well, what I mean that, do you remember verses 9 and 10? Do you remember when they gave that great picture we looked at a few weeks ago? Uh, Enoch and then, uh, I'm sorry, before that, the uh, archangel Michael and, and the dispute there. And then we get to verse 10. But these people blaspheme anything they don't understand. And what they know by instinct, like unreasoning animals, they destroy themselves with these things. And we talked about that. Their rebellion is, is severe against God. It's like an animal who can't control themselves. And this is what they do. Words matter, and words are important. That's evidence number three. Let me share a couple scriptures with you here as well. 2 Peter 2.18. 2 Peter 2.18. For by uttering boastful, empty words, they seduce with fleshly desires and debauchery people who have barely escaped from those who live in error. And then Proverbs. Proverbs, you want to get centered? You want to get brought back to reality? Proverbs is so good, isn't it? And Proverbs 28, 21 simply says this. It is not good to show partiality, yet... A man may sin for a piece of bread. You see how easy it is? For all of us, how easy it could be. And for apostates, how evident that is. Well, let's move on to evidence number four. Now, we're going to skip verse 17. We'll come back in a minute to that. I want to close with verse 17 because it's almost like a parenthetical clause stuck in this list of evidences of the wayward person. So let's jump to 18. In evidence number four, we see scoffing at God. Look at Verse 18, if I can find it. They told you in the end, there it is. I'm trying not to wear my glasses today. They told you in the end time, there will be scoffers. Says it right there, there will be scoffers. Uh, the NEB says it this way. They are men who pour scorn on religion. Here, when we think of scoffers, we think of this. Uh, they laugh at, they sneer at, they make light of God's holiness and moral perfection. Did you catch that? They're making fun of, sneering at God's holiness 
and at moral perfection. Let me tell you, this is rampant today. We see this every day if we're not in our little holy cocoon sitting at home, only listen to our favorite Christian artists and never venture out in the world. But if we do it all, let me tell you something. Uh, it was eye-opening to, to help with the, uh, what's it called, park and ride, balloon, fiesta, whatever we do. Now, sometimes all you can do is say, welcome, they're going through. But sometimes you get a chance to talk to them. And I, I just can remember this one young lady I talked to. And I started out, I have different ways of starting out uh, with questions to get a, get a conversation going. I say, when you attend church, where do you attend? She got right up to me and said, I don't believe in God. That was good for me. You know why? Because I began to look through the lens of Jesus with all those hundreds and hundreds and thousands of people that would come through and thinking and praying for them, God. Does this one even know about you? Does this one believe? God, I want to pray for this family that's coming, this group that's coming. God, you know, you can pray with your eyes open. Did you know that? Even while you're walking around, you can. And just praying for them over and over. Because we live in a world full of apostasy, and they make light of God's holiness. There is no standard, none at all. There is no moral point to look at. In fact, they even joke about God's righteous character. And they have no reverence for his purity. And I would ask the question this morning, folks, why do we make light of this? Well, I never do. Occasionally we are sinful, are we not? Occasionally we are carnal. We may not say it or joke about it, but we may do something that we might as well be saying it or joking about it. Well, that standard doesn't apply to me. Well, you know, I like my, and you fill in the blank, whether it's a certain drink or food or football team <laughs> or whatever, fill in the blank. Well, I like that, and just, that's just how it is. That's just me instead of what God wants. And we can even sometimes scoff at God. But for the apostate, it is evident and it's clear and it is consistent and it is habitual. Proverbs 21, 24. I love this. Scoffer, and it's in quotations, scoffer is the name of the arrogant, haughty man who acts with arrogant pride. Don't be called a scoffer. 2 Peter 3, 3. First, be aware of this. Scoffers will come in the last days to scoff, living according to their own desires. Do you see how it all fits together? It just fits so well together. And that leads us to verse 18, uh, evidence number five, following their own desires. It says, in the end time, there will be scoffers walking according to their own ungodly desires. Now, this is a close repeat of the phrase in verse 16. Well, why is it there again? Why is it talking about desires again? When you see something repeated in Scripture, what's a good thing to remember? Uh, maybe I should pay attention to this. Hey, knucklehead, let me just put it in there a couple verses later for you. There it is. Pay attention to that. But here, the desires are described, and they're described with the word ungodly. Well, what does that mean? It gives us a picture. Uh, ungodly gives us a picture of action, of longing for these desires. And in the New Testament especially, when you see that they are walking in something, it's more than just this, I walk in my own desires. That's not what it means. It means a way of life. When you're walking in something, it's in a way of life. It's a behavior pattern. 
And, and, and we see that, and it's repeated again here. My own desires, my own desires, that's what the apostate is following. And they are ungodly, they are ungodly, but it's what I do day after day, day after day. We should pay close attention to this evidence as it is repeated. Well, we're getting there. Let's look at verse 19. Evidence number six, dividing by theology. Okay, Lamar, what are you talking about? Well, let's be careful with this one. Look at verse 19. These people create divisions. Let's talk about that just for a minute. Apostates always march to the beat of their own theological drum. And you may say they don't have any theology. Oh, yes, everyone has theology. Would you agree with that? Everyone does. They may say, I am uh, agnostic or I am atheistic, but you have a theology. You have a theology. It may not be a biblical theology, but you have some kind of theology, and they walk to their own beat of their own theological drum. And in doing that, they try to lure the spiritually weak away from the flock. That's why it's so important not to remain just to, as one who's miraculously is saved, and that's all there is. Oh, there's so much more. There's so much growth that needs to happen. There's so, we need to be spiritually strong and mature because apostates will use theology, quote unquote, to lure away the spiritually weak from the flock, from the church, and thus bring division to the fellowship. That's what it means they create division. The word division here means to separate from or cause divisions. Well, duh, Lamar. No. There's another phrase that go with it. Listen to it closely. Divisions here mean to separate from, to cause divisions among the Christian community. Pull them away. You've watched the nature. Have you ever watched the nature shows? I hate when I'm clicking the. By the way, the remote control. You familiar with that, ladies? It was omitted in the list of spiritual gifts because every man that I know has a spiritual gift of remote controlling. Have you noticed that? Anybody? Why are some of you elbowing your husbands right now? That's interesting. But as I'm clicking and going through, sometimes I'll go by and there's a lion in the tall grasses. And there's the little gazelles, right? And all of a sudden they stop and their ears go, right? And the lion's coming. And there they go. Does the lion look for the head main dude? No tries to pick off the weak young one. The same is true spiritually. Don't be the weakest, youngest Christian. Have spiritual growth because apostasy will cause division in the Christian community by picking off the flock. Sowing seeds of discord, sowing seeds of division, they in turn, if you challenge them, you know what the apostate will do? They will call you divisive. Have you ever been called that? They will call you ignorant. Oh, you just don't know, you Bible lover. They will even call you bigoted because you're following what God's word says about the family and about life and when life begins and when it ends and who controls that and who's the creator. They'll call you bigoted. They'll call you arrogant when you challenge them. Remember this, church. It is not the person who stands for truth that is divisive, but rather it is the person who stands against truth who is divisive. That's where the division comes. And it's listed here in the evidences. 
Let me share a couple scriptures with you. Titus chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. Titus 3, 10 and 11. I love the book of Titus. We'll probably do that someday here. Someday, whenever the Lord has us do that. But listen to what 10 and 11 of chapter 3 says. Reject a divisive person. After a first and second warning, so there's love. Do you see the love that's there? But reject a divisive person after a first and second warning, knowing that such a person is, I didn't write it, perverted and sins being self-condemned. And then we get to the great book of Acts, Acts 20, 30, and you know how the church is burst and there's amazing things going on. And, and by the way, I hear people all the time say, hey, uh, we just want to be a New Testament church. And I'm like, be careful wanting to be a New Testament church. It did not take them very long, months maybe, of messing things up, right, in years. And they're getting, Paul is writing all these letters to them at some point saying, guys, quit doing this. What are you doing? This is not what you're supposed to be doing. You need to be doing this. But in Acts 20, 30, there's an amazing warning given. And it says this, and men will rise up from your own number with deviant, that word means twisted, perverse, with deviant doctrines to lure the disciples into following them. Scripture commentates on Scripture. Well, let's move on. We're almost there. Evidence number seven, also found in verse 19. Destroying by immorality. Destroying by immorality. It says these people create divisions and are merely natural. You have some word in your, in your scripture like that. Apostates are natural or they're worldly. They're sensual. We get our word psyche. We get our word psychology from this word that in my translation says natural. It gives us a picture. It gives the picture of someone who is soulless. Have you ever met someone who is soulless? That's how they act. You see, these people who live by a natural reason, that's how they live, rather than by supernatural revelation. Never forget the difference between human reason and supernatural revelation. I have a dear uncle who's a, a, a physicist, a quite prolific physicist, and as we would talk, we would eventually argue <laughs> about the Bible and things. He's a Christian, but I would finally say to him, you're discounting the miraculous in Scripture. You're discounting the mysterious in Scripture. Think about that for a minute. Human reason cannot deal with every verse in the Bible. Why? It's God's revelation to us. Creation is what? General revelation. Specific or special revelation is found right here. God's love letter to us. And some of it is mysterious. The Bible says that. And obviously, if you read it for very long, there's some of it that's miraculous. And God is capable of that. And so we, we need to re remember that. But nevertheless, they destroy by having this natural reason. You see, here's the problem. Apostates don't want God telling them how to live. And ultimately, let me say this, they're unbelievers, which leads us to our final evidence. It's number eight. 
there in verse 19. They are dying without God's spirit. Look at this. These people create divisions that are merely natural, not having the what? Spirit. Is that capitalized in your version? Yes, it is. God's spirit. The real problem with the apostate is that he is lost. Jude characterized the apostate as one not having, capital S, the spirit. They're counterfeit. They're counterfeit Christians. Listen to Romans 8, 8 and 9. Isn't Romans 8 a great chapter? Listen to verse 8 and 9. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, since the spirit of God lives in you. And then here's the kicker. But if anyone does not have the, capital S, spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him, period. John speaks of this, 1 John 2.19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. They're dying without God's Spirit. All these evidences, and the last one is the most condemning of all of them. So let me give you an equation here. Are you ready? Some of you are nervous. You know, the three best years of my life were algebra two. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, pre-calculus did me in, but some of you are PhDs in that. So here's a simple equation. It has nothing to do with numbers. Are you ready? Here it is. Position plus, I should have put it on the screen, profession. Got it? Position plus profession does not always equal possession. So you know the equal sign, so you can have that, but you can also have the slash through it, right? So don't assume that just because there's position and profession, it necessarily means possession. Well, what do you mean by that, Lamar? I mean this. Think of Judas Iscariot for a minute. Do you remember him? Judas Iscariot had position, did he not? He was one of the 12 apostles, one of the 12 disciples of Christ, three years with them. He gave a profession. Well, Lamar, what do you mean by that? He actually called Jesus Lord. But he had no possession, did he? He was the betrayer. Jesus even called him a devil. So be careful of what you read and what you watch. I always get concerned when I have conversations with individuals over and over and over, and their conversation is always centered around one subject, one author, one whatever. Be careful with that. Because unfortunately, someone can have this great position and even profess, but not have possession of the abundant life with the Lord Jesus Christ. Be careful, be careful, be careful. So what do we do with all this evidence? How are we to respond? Listen to the wise words of John Phillips. I don't agree with everything John Phillips writes. He's got a nice devotional commentary. I don't agree with it all, but sometimes I'm like, dude, you nailed it. Listen. We cannot remember something that we have never known any more than we can remember someone whom we have never met. It is important then that we lay a good foundation in the Word. 
God expects us to know, study, and memorize his word. He expects us to have a systematic theology. If you don't know what that is, look it up, okay? A consistent hermeneutic and a comprehensive grasp of revealed truth. It doesn't say you know everything about it, but a comprehensive grasp. And then the last line of this quote, apostates trade on ignorance. Wow. Now, when I read that, uh, you, you may read it different. You may be thinking, know the word, study the word, memorize the word. Yes, it's there. Or you may be thinking, uh, I've got to make sure my theology lines up all together. You may be thinking that. Or you may be thinking my hermeneutic, how I'm going to present things in a certain way. Or these things light up. You know what that quote does to me? It makes me ask the question, who are you discipling? Who are you discipling? I don't care if you teach a class. I don't care if you're the greatest teacher in the church. I don't care if you do this, this, and this. I don't care if you have more scripture memorized than I do. I, I'm being, that's a little brash. I'm glad, I'm glad that you do. But do you see where I'm going with this? What I really care about is who are you pouring into? Who are you discipling? Is there someone that you are systematically discipling? Because the problem here is ignorant. Remember? The gullible. The ones who are picked off from the flock by the apostates and by apostasy. How do we counter that? We must be... Can you imagine if everyone in this room today, even the older teenagers, maybe not the little guys yet, but everyone, if we were all discipling, pouring into, mentoring, I don't care what you call it, at least one person, do you see how that could revolutionize our city and our neighborhoods? I thought I might get an amen. I feel like the Spirit of God is hovering over us right now with conviction because in most churches, very few disciple people. It's very concerning to me. We gripe, we complain, we sit back, sit back and say, well, if the preacher did this or the preacher did that, if the church would do this, why is the church doing that? We're worrying about policies, we're worrying about procedures, we're worrying about little nits of theology when we should be discipling people. Amen? We should be doing that, but we don't. Some of us are, but in American Christianity, very few are. And let me remind you one more thing. Well, I am worked up. Woo! Well, I am worked up. Discipling doesn't just begin with someone who accepts Christ, who walks an aisle, who prays with the preacher, or who gets baptized. Discipling begins with the pre-believer. Hello? Have you ever heard that? You can't be a disciple unless what? Evangelization has taken place in your life. You can't be a follower of Christ, albeit maybe a new one, a baby one, unless what? Someone tells you the good news and the gospel, and God saves you miraculously. So it's not just, well, I would be a disciple, Pastor, if, if someone just brought me this Christian. How about we work with people who are not yet Christians, and we see God save them, and then we are right there perfectly ready to begin to disciple them. Would you pray about that, church? You don't have to be assigned to someone, although we would be glad to help if you really want to do that. 
You can go looking for someone to disciple. Well, that's not really just in the notes exactly. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> you know I love you, don't you? When I get worked up. Now, if you feel like it's landing in your lap and you're just like getting fired up because Lamar, don't get in my business. That's the Lord getting in your business. And if you're good, then you just say, amen, thank you, and we keep moving on, okay? But think about that for a minute. Let's finish with verse 17. We skipped over that. Look at Jude 17. But you, dear friends, I love that phrase, remember the words foretold by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then they told, verse 18 and 19. Dear friends, signals something. Maybe you have the love it. It gives us the picture that if you're a believer, if you're a follower of Christ, you, guess what? Here's some good news for you. You are a special object of God's love. God's rescue plan is for you. And as you respond to God, he saves you. And it's his grace and love and mercy for you. Isn't that exciting to know? And as believers, we're to remember. What are we to remember? We're to heed things. What? The words of warning spoken long ago by the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see that? In the midst of these evidences, Jude reminds them, remember. It's been spoken of long ago. Remember, remember, remember. Now, who are these apostles and their words? It's coming from the people who walked with Jesus. Are you understanding that? The apostles, they were eyewitnesses. If I called myself Apostle Lamar today, it'd be kind of hard. I, I was not eyewitness. I did not walk with Jesus while he was on earth. But more than that, they were the ambassadors of Jesus. Isn't that right? This small group of ragtag, messed up, I don't get it all, Guys, the world was changed through God's power. Read the book of Acts. It's amazing what happened. And remember this about ambas ambassadors. The ambassador is never greater than the one who sent them. So picture the apostate. Picture the apostle. Apostate, puffed up, all kinds of stuff, right? Arrogant words. The, uh, the ambassador of God. I'm not greater than him. Greater is he that is within me, right? Greater is he. Amen. Hmm. So let me ask you today, what do you remember? Do you know the phrase? It's kind of a psychological phrase, but there are tapes. We can't say tapes anymore, can we? There are CDs. We can't say that hardly anymore. There are digital downloads in our brain that play over and over and over. Is that not true? If you've experienced trauma in your life, perhaps you, you, you've lost a spouse or a child or something happened in your childhood or you made choices as an adult to do this and that, uh, God forgives, right? But still, there's that stuff that plays over and over and over. So my question is, what do we remember? Now, that's not going to all go away outside of a miraculous intervention by God, but garbage in, garbage out, right? We can put more of God and his word in 
And there'll be less of that playing. So what do you remember and what are you looking for? Listen to 1 John 4, 1. Dear friends, there's that phrase again, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to determine if you like them. No, it doesn't say that. If it fits with the Baptist Faith and Message 2000. No, it doesn't say that. If my Sunday school teacher, it doesn't say, look what it says. Test the spirits to determine if they are from God. Do you see the problem, the lack of discipleship? If we're not discipling people, how in the world can they test the spirits? We just have to be gullible and believe whatever, including this morning. Test it. Look at it. Test the spirits to determine if they're from God. Here it is. John writing many years ago. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Wow. Now you may, I saved just a couple minutes, well not very many, a couple minutes, I want to share something with you. You may say not me. I want to tell you the story of Peggy Cook. We moved to Roswell, Bethel Baptist Church, in the summer of, are you ready for this? 1987. You were not born yet. Okay. We were loved by Bethel Baptist Church. In fact, a couple came into our life, and they were like surrogate grandparents. Are you aware of that? Maybe that happened to you. You moved away, you had kids, and mom and dad weren't around, but someone in the church just, they would watch the kids and do things for the kids and all that. That was Lanny and Peggy Cook. Lanny was the alt auditor at uh, New Mexico Military Institute. I think Peggy had taught school, not sure exactly. Uh, Lanny was a deacon in the church. Lanny was a Sunday school teacher. Peggy was in the choir, a faithful member in the choir, just on and on and on. But something happened. Slowly but surely, Peggy began to listen to some cassette tapes. Now for those of you who are young here, that's would be the digital download of the streaming of that day. Do any of you remember cassette tapes? All right, you ready? Do any of you still have a cassette tape player? I'm going to pray for you. Come on. Move into the world. Even those VHS tapes, you know, you can get digitized, all right, or at least put on a DVD, all right? She began listening to these tapes from a guy in Florida, and he was all of these things. He had spiritual superiority. He had a corner on the market, et cetera, et cetera. He professed to be a Christian, on and on and all, and you probably know where I'm going with this. He was the leader of a, do you know what we call it? A cult. Not occult, but A space C-U-L-T. And Peggy began to be consumed by this and pull away. Remember who the cooks are now of all couples in the church. They watched our kids all the time. Who would watch four, uh, four little rugrat boys? Who would do that? They did. But she began to distance herself. And Lanny was still there. But before too long, Peggy was gone from church, not to return. And then it began to eat away at Lanny. And then he was gone. And then before we knew it, they moved to Florida. They sold their home and everything. 
And as cults are, they gave it all to this guy and became part of the cult. Now, I share this story not to be dramatic. I share this story just to remind you, don't assume that it can't be you. That's why discipleship is so important. And I'm sad to say, I don't know the final story, but part of the end of the story was Lanny developed eye cancer. And the hold, this apostasy, the hold was so great on them that he died and his mother, his little old lady mom, was not able to see her son even because of the cult and because of the false teaching. And he died there. And Lynn might be able to tell you more of the story. I don't know. I don't know what happened with Peggy. But what, I, I don't know how many times in my life the Lord has just mentioned, do you know that still small voice? He's just said, Peggy Cook to me. Peggy Cook. Lamar, what are you teaching? Lamar, what are you sharing? Lamar, what are you doing? Because this is what can happen. These are the schemes of the devil. So what do we do? We do verse 17 as we close. We follow in the apostles' tradition. In their words, we do what Scripture says. We stand firm. We contend for the truth And we're then thankful. We're thankful for the privilege of following Jesus and his word. Not some article or book or manifesto, but we're following Jesus and his word. So let me ask you this morning as we pray. Do you know Jesus? Not head, but heart. Have you repented? Have you turned from all that worldly stuff, our own ways? Have you turned and ran to Jesus and say, thank you for the rescue plan. Thank you that you can forgive my sin. I place my faith, all that I am, God has allowed me to do this, my faith, I I just place it with you. Forgive me. Come into my life. Save me, God. Transform me. Be my Lord and Master. Has that happened? Has that happened? If not, why not today? Destruction is sure. You don't want to be part of that. There's a life of lies, and you know it. If you're intelligent, you know there's purpose out there. You know there's meaning out here. You're sitting here today, or you're watching online, and you know there must be something more. And I am here to tell you, it is good news. You're in bad news right now, but it is good news. Jesus can save you right now. What is holding you back? And if that's already happened to you, Make sure there are less Peggy Cooks in the world, Christian. Be sure of your relationship with God. Is it current? Is your testimony, well, back in 1953, I was saved and baptized, and that's all there is, or is it current? And if it's current, who are you bringing along? Who are you discipling? My prayer this morning that people would be saved as a result of this morning or watching this later online. And my prayer is that at least one person would take up the mantle of discipleship and help another lost person or new believer 
law. Let's pray. God, thank you for the evidences that are so clear in the scripture. It's right there in our face. What we need is the purpose of heart to follow you. And I pray for those who would follow you for the first time. I pray for those who you are ready and stand ready to miraculously save. That they would realize that you love them and you have a special life plan for them. And they can't get to you except across the bridge, which is the cross of Jesus. God, I pray for salvation all around the world today and right here. God, I pray that you would give us people to pour into, that we would be intentional that people would be saved because of our life and our conversation as they are drawn to you and that we would disciple well there would be someone in our life that we would be pouring into so God give us receptive hearts this morning in your name we pray